Please, please, please don't fast forward. This will take exactly 12 seconds. I, Kevin Pang, host of Proof, have a brand new book out called A Very Chinese Cookbook. If you want to learn proper Chinese cooking, this is the book to get. Again, it's called A Very Chinese Cookbook, and it's out in stores now. Okay, thanks. Bye. I really love this quote by the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu. The journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Now, I, Kevin Pang, have a similar idea. The only way to eat a 72-ounce porterhouse steak is one bite at a time. Look, I don't think they'll be letting me teach Philosophy 101 anytime soon, but jokes aside, I do like the sentiment of that adage. It's about how to tackle the seemingly impossible. Sometimes you got to chip away at the problem, even when the problem seems intractable. And then one day, hopefully, you'll reach a tipping point. Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, we're going to talk about chipping away at seemingly impossible problems. We'll take you to the state of Georgia, to Sepolo Island. There, the saltwater Geechee community is facing encroaching development and tides, and they're using heirloom crops to fight for their survival. I'm Kevin Pang. Thanks for listening. Stick around. Hey everyone, it's Kevin here. If you're listening to Proof, you probably love food. Maybe you're even a great cook already, or maybe you aspire to be one. And if that's the case, then Sur La Table is for you. Good cooking comes down to two things, skills and tools. Sur La Table has you covered on both. They have the largest recreational cooking class in the country, with over 40,000 classes for folks of any skill level, even the kids. And they stock high-quality tools and equipment from the best kitchen brands, many of which have come out on top in our product reviews at ATK, Allclad, Le Creuset, Breville, and more. So, do yourself a favor and go wander the aisles of one of their retail stores. There are over 50 locations across the country. You can ogle beautiful pans, take that new kitchen gadget you've been eyeballing for a test drive, and just get inspired to cook something amazing. Visit surlatab.com to start cooking. That's S-U-R-L-A-T-A-B-L-E dot com. Reporter Claire Reynolds brings us today's story. The Sapelo Island Ferry is just about the only way to get to this barrier island on the Georgia coast. But it's not your typical commuter ferry. It's invitation only, it's cash only, and you better have exact change. Today it's almost empty and it's delayed. We're waiting for passengers who absolutely cannot miss this boat. Two kids who will ride the ferry back home after their school day on the mainland. I've been waiting for a ferry invitation for quite a while now, and I'm happy to finally be on board the Katie Underwood, named after the last midwife on Sapelo Island. There's something quite poetic about a ferry named after a midwife delivering children from island to mainland and back every day. She's taking me to see the island for the first time. 
Growing up in Georgia, I've always been aware of Sapelo, but it seemed like a faraway place that was a world apart from the Georgia islands my family visited on vacation. The ones with bridges and hotels and restaurants. But that's not Sapelo. There's none of that. There's a reason why my family never vacationed there. It's a private place. Not country club private like some of the Georgia islands. Sapelo is private in a way that there's no amount of money that makes one welcome there. It's a home, and like any home, you must be invited. Sapelo is home to the largest Geechee community on the Georgia coast. Gullah Geechee people are descendants of enslaved Africans, many of whom came from the rice-growing region of West Africa. There used to be Gullah Geechee communities from North Carolina to Florida, but Hog Hammock on Sapelo Island is the only Geechee community left in Georgia. And the isolation of the island helped preserve the Geechee language, their food, and their customs for centuries. Before Spanish, British, and French colonizers arrived on Sapelo, the island was inhabited by indigenous Wale people for millennia, and later by Muscogee people. It eventually became the site of an antebellum plantation. The island's salt marsh and sandy soil were ideal for growing cotton, rice, and sugarcane. During this time, the island was populated by 400 or more enslaved people, many of whom were brought to the island because they were especially skilled at tidewater cultivation. After the Civil War, the plantation was abandoned. About 44 families stayed on the island and cultivated the land themselves. They were the proud owners of more than 1,100 acres, and for a long time, they thrived. The land and sea provided everything they needed. The agricultural, medicinal, and spiritual practices brought over from West Africa continued to shape the lives of people on Sapelo into the 20th century. But today, there are only 29 descendants living on less than 200 acres in the Geechee community of Hog Hammock. And they're in a race against the clock to save their community. And that's why I'm on the ferry today, to learn how they're going to do it. Growing up on Sapo was, it was nice, because we didn't miss anything. We wasn't missing anything, because we didn't know what, what was out there. This is Maurice Bailey. His family has lived on Sapelo Island since 1802. We had a TV eventually with three channels, so... We was able to see Dan Rather News, Hee Haw, The Waltons, and that was pretty much it in Saturday morning cartoons. So we didn't get a lot of outside information, outside influence. So it was a great life because we didn't know anything different. As I arrived on the island to meet Maurice, it was easy to see why people are so drawn to Sapelo. There's a lush wildness about the place. The pine forest gives way to live oak trees dripping with Spanish moss, pierced by fans of salt palmetto. The salt marsh opens to lonely, pristine beaches, and it has such a quiet and dreamy quality to it. On the dirt roads of the Geechee village of Hog Hammock, it can feel like you're meandering through someone's backyard, and you often are. Maurice describes growing up on Hog Hammock that way, always together, always gathering, and usually around food, like oysters. The funnest thing 
is having an oyster roast outside. So everybody get to come and, and eat some steam oysters and over open pit fire and have a good time. In the last decades, hundreds of Geechee residents moved to the mainland to make a living and provide for their families and to find spouses they weren't related to. Eventually, so many people moved off the island that there weren't enough kids to fill the school. When Maurice was in the third grade in 1978, the school on Sapelo closed. After that, Maurice and his siblings had to take the 30-minute ferry ride through sea and salt marsh to get to school. It was rough at first, you know, when the school closed on Sapelo and we had to start going to school off island. We wasn't welcome. We was called Sapelonians. So nobody liked us because they didn't know nothing about us. The mainland kids kept their distance. That is, until they went home and told their families about those strange Sapelonian children. And come to find out, their parents or grandparents had actually once been Sapelonians themselves. Once the kids start realizing that, oh, my mother from Sapelo, my grandparent from Sapelo, they didn't realize that, oh, we're related. So they started asking Maurice to bring them some of their favorite foods from Sapelo. All those people that came from Sapelo remember that smoke mug. They remember the ocean, remember clams. So people remember all that. So then now they, they wanted these things. So say, hey, tell your daddy, uh, send me some of that, that ocean. Or, so then we bring the meshes back or somebody call over here and want something. Then, yeah, we got to deliver stuff to, to school. Maurice was now a hot commodity, a courier of his father's jarred oysters, clams, smoked mullet, all the saltwater Geechee favorites that people have been missing since they moved off island. People at the school know you're from Sapelo, and you got to take stuff from Sapelo, even smoke mullet. You got to take it to Sapelo to the teachers, the janitor, the bus driver. If Maurice's reflections have a good old days quality to them, it's because things are dire now on Sapelo. There are fewer Geechee residents on Sapelo every year, and they're fighting rising property taxes, encroaching development, and even rising tides. The community seems like it's on the brink of disappearing, as other Gullah Geechee communities have. But Maurice is working on a plan to save it, an idea that started with his mom. Historian, author, and activist Cornelia Walker-Bailey, often referred to as Ms. Cornelia, is Maurice's mother. In her extraordinary 2000 memoir, God, Dr. Buzzard, and the Bolito Man, she weaves an evocative tale of life on the island. She says growing up in an isolated, predominantly Black community, she wasn't aware until much later in her youth that there were separate water fountains for Black people and white people. But she did see her fair share of injustices on the island. During her childhood, the owner of most of the island was Richard Reynolds, the R.J. Reynolds tobacco heir. During that time, Cornelia's parents, along with others, were coerced, forced, and swindled out of their homes on the north end of the island in Raccoon Bluff and Bell Marsh, and moved into one consolidated Geechee village, Hog Hammock. Cornelia writes that her mother rarely complained, but when she did, it was about how poor the soil was in Hog Hammock. She said it was shifty soil with no oyster shells in it, and even the oysters on the south end of the island didn't taste the same. A hammock, by the way, is a small forested hill rising from a marsh. It's important to note that the elevation of Hog Hammock is two or three feet lower than that of Bell Marsh and Raccoon Bluff where they came from. 
It sounds like a small difference, but elevation matters a lot on a tiny barrier island prone to flooding. As so many had before her, Cornelia moved off the island as a young woman, but soon she felt called to return to her Sapelo home, or what was left of it. Not long after, while working for the state of Georgia, she entered an office to see a map on the wall with a red circle around Hog Hammock. Next to it, written plain as day, was Hog Hammock Community to be acquired later. As if this ancestral homeland where people were still raising their families was just another plot number. Cornelia took this as a clear call to arms. She witnessed the loss of community, and at the same time, she witnessed people leaving the island out of frustration. And she she witnessed whole whole culture disappearing in front of her. And she just felt she can't stand by and watch more land be lost, more culture be lost, uh, and nobody's doing anything about it. So what was Cornelia Walker Bailey gonna do about it? She was gonna grow heirloom Geechee crops. Of course, the history of Geechee agriculture is tied to the painful history of slavery. But reclaiming the cultivation of these crops to help the community survive would be powerful. She called it liberation farming. You know, agriculture is something that my mother uh, started doing. I took it up and kept doing it because it was, it was a, a voice of the community, of the people. Cornelia knew Geechee people on the mainland craved heirloom crops from Sapelo Island. Her plan was to create economic development on the island by growing and selling them. Her hope was that people would return to the island and stay if these crops could provide jobs. She wanted Sapelo to be a place where Geechee descendants returned to live, love, and die, as she put it. She asked Maurice to come home and help her. And so I came back to be a voice. I came back to be that one that to help and not afraid to speak up and, and take chances. Um, but meanwhile, I lost a lot in that process. I lost a lot of friends, family, finance, relationship. Uh, I lost a lot to uh, just to sacrifice to come back to the island to just to be a voice to help. Cornelia's crop of choice was the Geechee red pea, a pea with origins in Sierra Leone that's described as a smaller, sweeter, meaty, yet creamy cousin of the black-eyed pea. They were a staple in classic Geechee dishes like Hop and John. And for any Geechee who'd left the island, they'd be near impossible to find. Hop and John, by the way, is a rice and peas dish that's eaten on New Year's Day with collard greens, and it's supposed to bring you good luck. The rest of us in Georgia just put plain old black-eyed peas in our hop and john. So Cornelia found herself mailing red peas as far away as New York. If any crop can make her agricultural project a success, it'd be the Geechee red pea. And the red peas are the peas that was what we brought from Saplo by enslaved people. Um, and hop and john, people love the hop and johns. Once again, it's very important to, to uh, Afro-American culture. Uh, people want that red peas. People recognize that red peas. And so we grow that also. So this is a patch of Geechee red peas. This is Nick Heinen. He's a professor at the University of Georgia, which has a huge research presence on the island. And then in the distance, that's the cane. 
So this is one of the new fields that we've been developing. Maurice and I just put this fencing up. Merrill Albers of University of Georgia asked Nick Heinen to work with the Geechee community on Saplo and try to build a bridge between them. Nick worked with Cornelia Walker-Bailey to launch a program to grow peas, sugarcane, and indigo, and has become Maurice's devoted colleague. And he's a great tour guide as well. So this is lot one. Lot one, home of the mothership crop of purple ribbon sugarcane. It was thought to be the same sugarcane grown by enslaved people on the island, possibly brought to Georgia from the West Indies in 1814. But when it came time to plant in 2016, its seeds were nowhere to be found on Sapelo. Cornelia brought in David Shields, a professor at the University of South Carolina, to try to revitalize Sapelo's purple ribbon sugarcane. Dr. Shields worked with a Clemson plant geneticist, Stephen Kresovich, to find an approximate match for the purple ribbon. This particular sugarcane was recently added to the Ark of Taste, a catalog of distinctive foods facing extinction. And maybe it seems extreme to go to such lengths to find the purple ribbon sugarcane seeds, but not to Cornelia, because sugarcane was inextricable from Geechee culture. Everybody had their own sugarcane patch around the house. But also sometimes people would gather it and take it to one guy's house, and he had two boiling pots, and we would crush the sugar cane, and we spent all day crushing the sugar cane. Literally, women's over here cooking down the juices into syrup, and somebody actually making biscuit and cornbread in the house. So when that syrup is done, everybody gets some biscuit and cornbread. Uh, then a week later, after everything's all bottled up, then you go back to the guy's house and he'll give you your share of the, the syrup. So I always loved that. That was a big event uh, on, on Saplo. Sugarcane pressing is one of many traditions that have fallen by the wayside. As the Geechee population dwindled, the sugarcane pressing fell to one resident, and he eventually just got too old to grind the cane. At first, he had a horse turn the grinder, and when the horse died, he got a tractor. And when the tractor died, he got a truck. But soon, it just became easier to get your sugar from the bags of Dixie Crystal that began showing up in the store in the 1960s. We want to plant sugar cane to do pure syrup. Our plan is to bring that back to Sapelo. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our culture. And we're showing people that we're utilizing the land. Um, and it's trying to create an industry from Sapelo. So they planted the mothership crop of purple ribbon sugarcane on Saplo, but it turned out that Mother Nature was sailing the ship. As Irma makes its way out of the state of Florida, obviously, again, risks are still here and new threats for the residents of Georgia. It is under a state of emergency there, and already more than 100,000 people are without power. On September 11, 2017, Hurricane Irma made impact on Saplo Island. The storm surge flooded much of the island, including St. Luke's Baptist Church, about a dozen homes, and Cornelia's purple ribbon sugarcane field. Six feet of water kind of hit it, it knocked it all over, and the salt water kills it. So we just, Stanley Walker, Maurice's brother, suggested that we like just turn on all the hoses and just let them run. So we let them run for weeks, just flushing the salt water out, and we were able to revive and kind of um, extract some of that seed out of that first patch. 
The rush to flush out the salt water was an attempt to save the soil. Salt water can introduce unwanted elements that are toxic to crops, and they can dry out the plant roots, leaving the soil infertile. But that purple ribbon crop was lost. They call themselves saltwater Geechee, but today, saltwater is yet another force that threatens the way of life for Geechee people on Sapelo. Agricultural fields, churches, backyards are all being flooded with seawater regularly these days. And the Georgia coast is expected to experience a sea level rise of more than six feet by the end of the century. And the loss of the mothership crop was not all that was lost in the fall of 2017. A month after Hurricane Irma flooded the Purple Ribbon cane fields, Cornelia Walker Bailey passed away unexpectedly. Now Maurice and Nick were not only starting over with their sugarcane crop, but they had to do it without Miss Cornelia. After the break, how will Maurice carry on his mother's legacy? Hey, Proof listeners. Plugra's premium European-style butter is a favorite of bakers. Why? Cook's Illustrated Recipe developer Erica Turner sums it up. Hey, Kevin. Did you know that the kind of butter you use when you're baking can actually make a difference in how your dish turns out? I did not. Butters that are slow-churned, like Plugra, are easier to work with because they make doughs more pliable. The amount of fat in the butter also makes a difference. Tell me more. Okay, so most American butters contain around 80% butter fat, but European-style butters like Plugra have a higher fat content. In fact, Pluger Premium European-style butter always contains 82% butter fat. And you're saying 2% is enough to make a noticeable difference? Oh, yeah, definitely. With Plugra slow-churn butter and its 82% butter fat content, you'll notice richer, flakier pastries, cakes that rise higher, and cookies that crisp more easily. Embrace your inner butter lover. From professional kitchens to your home. Visit Plugra.com for more information. And now, back to our story. After Cornelia Walker Bailey's passing, it was an obvious choice that her son Maurice dedicate himself to taking over her vision for Sapelo and carry it forward. It gave him an opportunity to preserve Geechee history, something that he felt was at risk of being lost forever. We was always taught to forget about ourselves, to forget about our history. Everything in school, everything on TV, everything was written. It didn't tell us about ourselves. It didn't tell us about Geechee people. It didn't tell us about Black people. But yet, they love our food, love our culture, but they don't love us. The urgency isn't just because of the flooding and sea level rise. About an acre a year of Geechee land is being lost to land sales and delinquent property tax auctions. Some Geechee residents are facing unaffordable property tax rises as Sapelo Island becomes more desirable for developers and outsiders. There are plenty of offers to buy the land, so some Geechee members are tempted to sell. Today, Geechee land faces encroachment from the sea and the mainland alike. We're not a priority 
in this country. We're not priority in the state of Georgia. We're not. We're the round color to be a priority. They'd rather have a plaque on side of the road. And, you know, and that's something I don't want to get to that point of riding down our road in Southlow and say this was a see a historical plaque like you see on side of the road that you can't even read because this isn't a place that you can't pull over and read it or you're going too fast and all you have is a marker left. We got to fight harder. We know we're strong people. We know we're resilient people. We know we're proud, geisha people. And that's one of the things I try to portray and try to kind of show in the agriculture program and the work that I do and the talk that I, that I do, um, that we do matter. But the land is flooding, and the flooding is particularly bad because of a ditch network that was put in place long before the notion of climate change. It was created by enslaved people initially to get fresh water off the island so it could be farmed. And then now it serves as a conduit for the salt water to come in and flood the lands that are trying to be farmed for economic development purposes. In order for Maurice to succeed in seeing Cornelia's vision of preserving Geechee culture through agriculture, he has to tackle his main enemy, saltwater. And these days, it's not just hurricanes that flood the fields. Sometimes a king tide, which is a regularly occurring super high tide, is enough to send water into Hog Hammock. Maurice and Nick needed a solution, and soon they had one from an unlikely place. What do we got here? So here, yes, uh, oyster shells. Um, this represents three loads of a big Tex trailer that was barged over. Oysters, Sapelo's newest defense against the rising tides. Many private and public landowners protect their land from saltwater intrusion by erecting seawalls and bulwarks made of cement, metal, wood, and riprap stones. But these armored shorelines are still vulnerable to rising tides, and sometimes water can erode the soil underneath these walls and flood behind them, or just push the erosion further down the shoreline. But there's another way to hold back the sea, and it's called the living shoreline. Here's how it works. Oyster shells are bagged with native marsh grass and attached to the existing shoreline. The empty shells can be seeded with oyster larvae or spat and become the home to a new oyster reef. Marsh grass will take root and grow, eventually holding back rising tides and keeping the soil from eroding. Maurice and Nick will do a kind of modified living shoreline and use the same materials to build a shell weir or a small dam on the ditches that are prone to flooding. It will not stop the water, but it'll slow the water because these events, when they happen, they're very kind of like quick and dramatic. It's one of the reasons that Irma was so catastrophic was the, the combination of the high water event, but then the way the wind was blowing the water on island. So it'll slow everything down and hopefully at a pace where there's enough capacity that it won't flood. That's the hypothesis. Nick is part of an organization in Athens, Georgia called Shell to Shore. And they are the folks who are collecting all of these oyster shells from restaurants around Georgia and shipping them down to Sapelo. The Shell to Shore motto is, eat more oysters, save your shells, protect our coast, or in this case, 
save Sapelo? Well, our program was Shellless Shores. We looked at it because there wasn't any protection being done for the community. So it wasn't just about the ag field. It was about this church over here, St. Luke Church, that water overflows that ditch and, and floods the back of that church in the old bathroom. My neighbors back behind me, their yard is now pretty much a salt marsh. So currently the Corps Engineers is working with us with that now, also Nature Conservancy. Uh, so we, we hope that we use these shells that we're collecting to fix some of these spots. Now, in, in the future, we need something a lot bigger. But on the short term, this will help a lot with keeping some of the salt water out of the community. But Maurice and Nick have to raise funding to help create the shell weir. Plus, they need approval from entities like the Army Corps of Engineers to move forward. And in the meantime, there are still crops to tend to. Uh, on the other side of that palm is a sour orange tree. And one of the one of the crops that long-term we hope to establish and have had a couple false starts at are sour oranges that were brought here by the French colonialists in the 1700s. But Gichi cuisine on island has utilized a lot of uh, the sour oranges to make both marmalades and marinades. And so we have some baby plants going, but the, the biggest issue right now is just our inability to find the land to plant the orchard. Just given we would need, you know, it's going to take years to really establish a, a vibrant orchard. Today, Maurice and Nick have replanted the red peas and sugarcane, plus some additions, all important to Geechee history. There's the sour oranges and the indigo, and then as an ode to Cornelia, a patch of garlic. In her memoir, Cornelia writes the tale of her death. She was three years old when she got very sick from eating unripe pears, so sick that by all accounts, she died. She had no pulse and there was no sign of breath. Her aunt called for garlic from the garden, crushed it up, and put it in baby Cornelia's nose, mouth, and God only knows where else, she writes. And then she came back from death, or a trance. It was a debate among the family. And that's the story behind the garlic crop. Maybe the garlic can help revive Sapelo, too. Since Hurricane Irma, Maurice and Nick have replanted sugarcane, not just for the crop, but so that they can revive the tradition of gathering on the island for sugarcane pressing. Every year we'll crush that sugarcane and produce that syrup here on Sapelo. Everybody come back around and reminisce about those times of Sapelo and the sugarcane syrup making on Sapelo. And so that's the reason that we plant sugarcane. Uh, just uh, bring people back together also. They were able to save some purple ribbon sugarcane seeds, but sustaining just this one variety would be challenging. So they planted other strains of sugarcane that are easier to find and more resilient. Farming is some of the hardest work there is. These crops are chosen for their ability to grow in sandy soil in a scorching hot humid climate, but it's exactly that climate that makes the farming so difficult. This is Georgia. Summer temperatures are in the upper 90s with a humidity so oppressive it has to be experienced to be believed. 
And then there are the mosquitoes. To farm this land requires manpower, and Maurice and Nick have had to rely on volunteers and students to prepare the fields and plant crops. But the care and maintenance of any crop is a sustained practice, and eventually students and volunteers move on. By this point in my trip, it became painfully clear to me how much Maurice and Nick are up against. I asked Nick why he's so committed to this work. I mean, it, for me, it's simply because Miss Cornelia asked me to. That is the, the plain and simple answer. I mean, I, there were a thousand things I probably would have done had she asked me to do. And I made her a promise that I would help Maurice. And then, so that's, that's what I do. This was Miss Cornelia's vision to try to grow crops that people want to eat and consume, that taste good, that represent saltwater Geechee history and do it at a scale that could create employment and create jobs so descendants could engage and you know earn a livelihood but also be connected to their culture. There's a short time frame left to try and get as much saltwater Geechee culture on the landscape before it's too late so they're not forgotten. While Nick showed me around their fields all over the south end of the island, we ran into Maurice. He was cleaning up for Sapelo's annual cultural day. We found him working by himself, smoking a stogie while mowing along the side of the road on their recently donated tractor, Rachel. It's named after the benefactor who helped them buy it. Good morning. How you doing? All right. Hey, Maurice, how are you? Clean it up. <laughs> he left. So I was done for that all and a half by myself. Yeah. Well, that's disappointing because there were supposed to be a whole bunch of people that were supposed to come uh, yeah. volunteer this morning. But. The night before I arrived in Sapelo, there was a tense McIntosh County planning meeting. It's just one more chapter in the ongoing fight over encroaching development on the island. Tonight, many Sapelo Island residents are upset and disappointed after McIntosh County commissioners voted to approve a controversial zoning change that some worry will cost them their land. The ordinance allows homes to be built nearly double the size of homes that are currently on the island. A vote many say could be the beginning of the end for the island and the Gullah Geechee culture there. The results of that meeting threatens unchecked development from those outsiders attracted to the exclusivity and the unspoiled beauty of Sapelo Island. If the encroachment continues, it will be difficult for Hog Hammock to remain as a Geechee community. People are fighting in their own way, whether it's by showing up to a county commissioner's meeting or filing lawsuits against the state and county. But whatever the cause may be, one thing is the same. Geechee descendants need support. We need people that's going to help us fight the local government, the state government, the federal. We, we need people that's either connected or just a voice, just showing up, just send an email, uh, send a letter to the, the, the senator or state representative. But we need more voices. We're standing in front of a patch of red peas. Across the dirt road is a bulldozer ready to start construction on a vacation home being built on land that was recently held in Geechee hands. Like, this is hard. This is very hard and like, it's never easy. And I, and I keep looking at this over here, which is breaking my heart. 
um, so this land is being developed and it's, it's just like that's that is why this is so important right now because Miss Cornelia used to talk about cultural genocide and just in the nine years that I've been coming here there are so many more of what that will be as opposed to traditional Geechee homes and descendants having the opportunity to afford to live here. So there's a real irony of my view right now between like, um, so like that motivates me more than anything. When I started working on this story, I was excited about sharing the solutions that a small group of people have found to preserve their land and heritage, growing heirloom crops and protecting them with oyster shells recycled by people on the other side of the state sounded hopeful. After visiting Sapelo, I saw firsthand how much work there is to do just to grow the sugar cane and the red peas, not to mention build infrastructure that will protect the soil from salt water. And all of this is done alongside encroaching development on the island. But Maurice and Nick continue to fight against time and tide and the so-called progress of man. They don't seem to have a choice. The fixes can often feel like one step forward and two steps back, especially when the thing you love and are trying to save from one thing is threatened by yet another. But even against such odds, the idea of stopping the fight seems unthinkable to Maurice and Nick. Material-wise, you don't gain. But for me, I always say I just can't sell my soul. I try to back away from this thing many a times. I just can't do it. I just can't sell my soul. So that keeps me here. I mean, obviously, I think a lot about it. But I don't, I don't really see myself as having any options. So in many ways, uh, it's, it's easier just to kind of keep moving forward. And because Maurice never is going to give up, that also makes it easier to not, you know, see an alternative. So I'm just going to fight the fight I can fight and, and do my part. Um, that's what I always told. That's the way I was raised. Say, just do your part to the fullest. Uh, and once you've done that, if nothing else you can do, you have no regrets. In Cornelia Walker Bailey's poetic essay, I Am Sapelo, she writes, We are bound by the spirit of an island and Bulala the slave, bound by high tide, fields, gossips, smoked mullet, and our faith. And I mustn't forget we are all surrounded by big water and have to be close to each other, real close. As I take the ferry back to the mainland, the Katie Underwood is full this time. There are church services every second Sunday of the month, and there's a crowd of 40 or 50 people in their Sunday best, all carrying to-go boxes from the dinner served at the church. There's a birthday girl on board with a crisp $20 bill pinned to her shirt, and the kids on the upper deck are all eating cake. It seems like the adults are saving their food for when they get home. Or maybe they're bringing back those boxes to the teacher, the janitor, the bus driver, just as Maurice had years ago. 
It's hard not to wonder if Geechee descendants will still be riding the ferry back to Hog Hammock for Sunday church a few generations from now. My hope is that in the future, they'll be carrying back bottles of sugarcane syrup and bags of red peas and indigo, and maybe even some of that garlic. Thanks to Claire Reynolds for bringing us today's story. If you'd like to learn more about Maurice Bailey's efforts on Sepalo Island, go to SaveOurLegacyOurself.org or go to the Sepalo Island Cultural Revitalization Society at SICARS.org. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer, Caitlin Kelleher. I'm supervising producer, Caroline Rickard. I'm Alex Kern Cartarelli, and I'm an associate producer. I'm Angelica Quintanilla, also an associate producer. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Audio services are provided by Ultraviolet Audio with sound design supervision by Matt Poynton. Scoring, mixing, and sound design by Anya Gzeshik. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds Composer Theme Music. Additional music by Kyle Forster and Jordan Pearson. Jen Margolis. Is our director of host production, and our director of production is Diane Knox. Fact checking and additional research by Sarah D. Collins. Special thanks to Maurice Bailey, Nick Heinen, Tyler Leslie, Noah Brendel, Patrick Stubbers, Sea Bear Oyster Bar, Shell to Shore, and to Rob Gal for being a part of this story. Thanks also to Sarah Joyner for story editing this episode. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer, and Dan Surratt is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Plugra Premium Butter and Sur La Table. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen.